So where else can we go, Lord? Where else can we go? You have the words of eternal life. You know, as I look at this uh, platform, I'm reminded of uh, a stage that I think I've told you about um, back when I was in college, that it was on a stage that looked much like this. It was what's called a thrust stage that comes out into the audience. There was a proscenium arch, which kind of has the action behind there. You can sort of imagine stage like that, and that it was on a stage that I had my first real encounter with the Bible. And it was as I was preparing for um, a play, I was getting ready, and we were getting things prepped before the audience came in. And, um, you know, I, I didn't read the Bible before in, in some limited sense. Uh, you know, went to school and did all that stuff. I was a church boy and then quit when I was 12. But, so I had some kind of experience of the Bible, but it was on the stage that night as we were preparing, and these tech guys were kind of putting stuff together, much as, you know, wires and things behind the scenes and getting things ready. And uh, there are two of those guys who I was aware were, were somewhat religious. Uh, they're really nice people, but they were religious and way more religious than I was. And, you know, I just was aware of that. They hadn't ever talked with me about that. But that night, for some reason, we got into a conversation about religion. And uh, I was kind of surprised, you know, I'm getting ready for a show. But I was happy to talk with them. They're really nice people. And I think I mentioned that they asked me what I thought of the Bible. And I, being the honest and acid-tongued person that I was, I told them I thought it was full of it, or words to that effect. And um, uh, they didn't seem to be phased by that, um, but then they asked me a question. They said, have you ever read it? I mean, read it. And I realized that was sort of busted. I said, no, not fully. I mean, I know a little bit about it and so on. They said, well, you know, don't you think you should read it before you kind of dismiss it? I said, whatever, shrugged and continued getting ready. And then they said this. They said, if we were to get you a Bible. Now, remember, in those days, this was before screens and phones and stuff. Phones were on the wall and on a desk. And we had to have things called books, right? You know, pages and covers and stuff like that. And they said, if we were to get you a Bible, do you think you might read it? Well, I thought about it, and I screwed up all the conviction I could get within myself, and I said, perhaps. <laughs> so anyway, why did I say perhaps? Why was there this reluctance to respond to a very kind invitation to get a Bible of my own, which I didn't have. Oh, and by the way, we just want to say at this point, if you don't have a Bible of your own, uh, you can get one here today, uh, back in the Welcome Center. They have Bibles for you know, people our age and as well as uh, the teen study Bibles. So that's available for you. If you do not have a Bible of your own, if you're going to pad your collection, then save it for somebody else. But um, So why, why was there reluctance? Well, it's because I kind of thought, what good is that book? I mean, why would I want to read something like that? Now, I could have answered my own atheist father's contention about the value of the Bible. He once said to me, anybody who's an educated person, and let's add parentheses, in the Western world, needs to know the Bible because it forms the basis of the culture that we live in. You think about it. Art and science, literature, philosophy, ethics and morality, politics, the judiciary and government, all of them have a whole lot of their basis in some of the teachings of the Bible. So, you know, in order to understand the world that we live in, it's good to know about the Bible. But I was aware that even though that's true, my friends were asking me to engage the Bible in obviously a very different 
way. And that raised a lot more questions for me. What relevance could a book that was written 2,000 years ago possibly have with the things that I was dealing with in the day in which this was happening? What connections do words on a page or now words on a screen have to do with the question of whether there's a greater power that kind of runs the universe? Will it make any difference to me personally if I read it? Or will it just be an academic exercise at best or a waste of my time at worst? But I got to confess, I was intrigued by their offer of getting a Bible of my own. So we're into this teaching series about the Bible, and it's titled, weirdly, Eat This Book. Now, it comes from the Bible's ideas, both in the Old and New Testaments, so-called, that we need to consume or devour or take into ourselves this book in order to enjoy and benefit from it. Now, three weeks ago, Pastor Tom talked about this phrase up there, eat this book, as being like a lion devouring its prey, focusing intently on the meal in view and not leaving anything untouched. Well, when I heard him say that, I translated that into Cowan family speak in terms of how we eat lobster. All right, any of you here like lobster? Okay. Well, if you like lobster, I want to ask, do you eat all of it? Okay. When you, when you, when you get a lobster, you know, and you eat it, um, usually what most people do is they eat the tail, they eat the claws, and they're done. And that's where the Cowans come in. We say, fork it over. Because we're going to go after the body. You know that green stuff that's inside? That kind of slimy green stuff? Oh, that is totally delicious. Oh, you got to try it. It's like, woohoo! It's amazing. It's disgusting, but it's amazing. And then if you're lucky, if you get um, a, a, a female, you get, you get the red stuff, which is the, the roe, so-called. It's the eggs. And you get to eat that stuff. And oh, man, that is super delicious. And, and then if you go behind the brain, there's a lot of really good stuff. There's not much brain there, but there's a lot of good stuff behind the brain if you pull it back and so on. And then those little legs... Oh, man, you just eat it, and all that good stuff comes out. Man, just, I'd love to eat lobster with you if you don't eat the whole thing. But you're missing some of the really great things, and that's what this means. Eat this book. Get into it. Take as much as you can. Now, two weeks ago, Pastor Paul helped us to realize that the Bible is, is, is trustworthy. It's an accurate rendering uh, of what was written 2,000 years ago, and it's a very accurate rendering uh, of what God intended it to convey, which is his truth. Uh, now, last week, Pastor Lou indicated that the Bible is self-authenticating. That means that in and of itself, it has the marks of God all over it. Now, once I came to know Jesus personally as the one who saved my life and, and now I'm trying to allow to run my life uh, in a wonderful way, before I came to know God, I wasn't sure that the Bible uh, was, uh, had God all over it because I didn't know God. And so the question was, would it be worth it to read it since I thought it was kind of full of it? But as we'll see, the Bible invites people and almost dares people as my friends did for me on stage, to read it, to check it out. The Bible passages we've been looking at these past few weeks, they're open invitations for you to read them and to check out the Scripture to see if, and I'm sorry to say this, if it's worthy of you. Is it worth your time? 
Now, Lou mentioned one of those passages this last week, which is from Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter 3. Now, this short part of Paul's letter to his younger assistant, Timothy, describes the value of the Bible, the offer which is available to any of you here today who aren't yet Bible readers to get into it, and the reminder to those here today who are Bible readers of why we need to continue to read it and study it for the value that it has in giving our life, life in Christ and life in general. So today, we're responding to the so what question. You know, most every good church like this one is going to say, you really need to read your Bible. And the cynic in me says, why? So what? What difference is it going to make? We hope to answer that question for you today. So open your Bible, uh, if you would, or your app uh, to um, 2 Timothy, this second piece of correspondence we have between these two guys, Paul writing to his younger assistant. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's briefly look at the whole chapter in order to see how the verses which mention the Bible that are in here play out in Paul's thinking. So at the beginning of the chapter, Paul is describing what's going on with the people of his day which he and the rest of the Bible describe as the last days. That simply means they're the days after the first coming of Jesus as we're waiting for the second coming of Jesus. The first coming in Bethlehem, the second coming when he comes to restore all things to what they were intended to be and to usher in the new age and the new world. So he says this, mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, they'll be lovers of money, they'll be boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Now, you kind of say, well, Paul, tell us what you really think about those people. And you can imagine church people going, yeah, yeah, I'm not like that anymore, you know, those bad people who are out there. But then he goes on to say, verse 5, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Now he's starting to talk close to home about church people. You know, I'm a good guy. I go to church and stuff. Yeah, but you have a form of godliness. You deny God's power in your life as well as in the life of those people. And then he says this, have nothing to do with such people. Yeah, don't hang out with them. Don't, don't adopt their values. But the problem is this. If you haven't yet checked with yourself, you and I are such people. <laughs> this is what we are. This is who we are. In fact, that's what Paul says of himself. He says, I am such a person. He describes himself in one place. He says, I am the worst of sinners. But nonetheless, a little further down in this chapter, he's able to say to Timothy, nonetheless, in spite of the fact that I can be like that, there's something that's happened to me and I'm now different. He says in verse 10 to Timothy, who knows him, you, however, know all about my teaching my way of life, those two things going together. I teach it and I practice it. My purpose, my faith, my patience and love and endurance. Unless you think he's kind of bragging on himself, it also has a cost. Verse 11, my persecutions and my sufferings. Now, in the letters of Paul that we have recorded here in the scriptures, we have Paul saying in a million different ways, uh, the, uh, the change, he describes this amazing change that went on through his life and it came out because of one person whose name is Jesus, the Christ. 
Well, the question is, how did Christ make that change in him? How did Christ take Paul, who was like the first part of this chapter, and turn him into somebody who's now really more like the verses that we just heard? What was it that Christ did to transform him? Yeah, he was knocked off his horse. God met him in a flash. But that wasn't what really changed his life in terms of the inside out. That wasn't what God used, ultimately. That got his attention. But then he describes in verse 14 and following what it was that changed him. He went away and after that encounter and he studied something. Verse 14 says to Timothy, Continue in what you've learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. You see, Paul points Timothy to this body of teaching in the Holy Scriptures because the Holy Scriptures was what changed his life. This teaching held by the body of believers and held in your hands perhaps granted Paul wisdom brought him close to God taught rebuked corrected and trained him up in the right way of living changing him from a violent evildoer who was hell-bent literally on sending believers in Christ to prison and even having them killed stoned to death changed him from being that into a very good man. So he encourages Timothy to use the same source that changed him and by extension, they encourage us. And countless witnesses do the same and I'm one of them. I just want to say to you, this is not going to be an unbiased message, okay? I'm a sold on this book and I hope to ask the Holy Spirit to do the same for you, to sell you on the value of this book. Now, so this is a good beginning to this message. You sort of got the gist of it, but let's do this, eat this book thing. Let's dig in. Let's kind of get after those little legs and that green stuff, okay? In verses 15 to 17. The Bible does the good that it says it'll do for you and for me, but you gotta pick it up. And notice we're using the verses that were mentioned last week, and you know, it may be possible you say, well, wait a minute, we've already gotten through those. Well, the reality is, the Bible, you can just keep studying it and studying it. It's, it's like almost any object of study. You know, if you're in a biology class and you're asked to observe a specimen and you look at it for a while and you report to the professor what you've seen, if they're a good professor, they'll say, look again, look again. You go, oh, I have to look at this thing again? You know, whatever it is, a fish or an amoeba or something like that. But you'll notice more stuff the next time you come around. That's the same way it is with the Bible. So why do we need the Bible? Well, we need it for what it is, verses 15 and 16. How from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures. Now to verse 16, all Scripture is God-breathed. These are the Holy Scriptures. Now, the word Scriptures is not significant. That simply means writings. Uh, that just comes from the Latin. But these are holy. They're different. They're unique. They're set apart. They're special. They connect us with the Holy One, with God. Now, you can read religious books. I mean, you can go online to Amazon. You can go to a bookstore if there still are such things that exist. I think there's one in Lincoln Plaza that's still around. And you can go to the religion section. You can see the Christianity section. You get some very good books there. But none of them are like this book. None of them have that direct line connection with God that this one says it does. 
that this one proves to be. Those books are all derivative from this books because those books are somebody else's ideas like this message about what God's word is and you hope that they are congruent. But there are a lot of religious books, even Christian books, that are people's ideas about God. And some people think the Bible is like that. A bunch of guys who got together and dreamed up these ideas about a God and a religion and then wrote it out and then you kind of swallow it. That's not what this book is. This book is God's ideas about who he is and who you are and I am written in the words of people that he inspired because the, this book is God-breathed. It's literally of the Holy Spirit. It's God's word spoken and breathed out into the minds of real people who wrote real words in their particular way for real people that they were writing to to read and learn about the ideas and the mind of God who spoke it and who still speaks it. So I took that Bible that I found outside of my door. It was left silently in the middle of the night. And I remember thinking to myself in my non-believing way, this is spooky. <laughs> spooky. But I took it. And I remember when I picked it up, I kind of felt this sense, this is a special book. The Holy Bible, published by Thomas Nelson. Wow. And it was mine. It was mine. And I did start to read it. And I was well advised, by the way. I remember hearing, don't start at the beginning. It's not that kind of a book. It's not kind of like a chapter book, you know. You're not going to miss the, the narrative if you start reading in the middle. How many of you started reading the Bible at the beginning and got lost a few books later? Anybody? Okay, there you go. Don't do it. Start with the person who's the lead character. That's Jesus. So go to what are called the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. I started with John. And I got to tell you, as I started reading, after a time, it put me in touch with God. And I think I told you there was one time where I really felt the presence. I, I, it, it was something out, you know, it was out of this world. And it, it freaked me out. It scared the pants off me, frankly. I closed it and I ran out. I, I, I was an anxiety-prone person anyway, and this was a pretty anxious moment. But as I read more and more, I realized that when most people meet God for the first time, uh, they're terrified. So I guess I was in good company. It put me in touch with the living God. Once I allowed it to get into my head and into my heart, so did the God who spoke it. Why do we need the Bible? Because it is the living, active word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says this, the word of God is alive. It's active. It's something that it isn't just under your control. It's under God's control. It's able to pierce into the soul and spirit, yours and mine. It judges the thoughts and the actions of the heart. That's what it does. That's why we need the Bible. We also need the Bible for the help that we need. Now, I don't know about you. I need a lot of help. I need a lot of help. And so this book is designed for that. Verse 15, the Holy Scriptures, it says, are able to make you wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, as I was reading it, aside from bringing me closer to God, I recognized right away that this book was challenging the thought that I knew everything about everything that I needed to know. Now, I was young then, and... As a young person, I thought I knew everything about everything. And I got to say, on the other hand, old guys, old guys in particular, you know, the mansplaining thing, 
we know everything about everything, and the worst thing is we're going to tell you about it, okay? So the great thing about the Bible is it gets you to the point where you say, I guess I don't know everything about everything that I think I need to know. Now, I had some very cherished ideas, some very basic ones about life. One was there are only three senses, or excuse me, three dimensions, and there are only five senses. And I was quickly aware that whatever was going on in this book and whatever I was starting to experience was beyond three and beyond five. So that, right away, was kind of this, wow, challenging. And it was able to make me wise. You see, what it did was it began to re-challenge and in some cases replace and in other cases reform my ideas about life with real wisdom from God. Now, I don't know about you, but I, I think everybody wants wisdom. Everybody wants knowledge. I mean, that's why some of us have the superior iPhone. Others of you have the inferior uh, Android devices. And, you know, you can just go there and you can find out anything you want to know and it kind of gives you ideas. You think it gives you wisdom, but believe me, it doesn't. But if you believe everything on the internet, well, then good luck for you. But, you know, Adam and Eve, that's what they wanted. They wanted new ideas and they wanted wisdom. They thought this was going to make them wise to reach for that tree that God said, you really don't want to know that. But they know. Oh, yeah, we want to know that. That's what everybody wants. And so what happens is, as we reach for knowledge and wisdom, these ideas come into us that become controlling ideas in our behavior. Let me give you an example, and it's one that's going to be playing up in about the next year or so. The controlling idea, for example, of those who are progressives in this world. Progressives. The word operant there is progress. These are people, and I'll point to you guys because you're on the left-hand side of the house, okay? So progressives believe that the best is yet to come and the worst is in the past. So forward to this wonderful time when we're all going to come together and we're going to sing Kumbaya and the world's going to be great. If we can just somehow work it out, right? Okay, so that's one controlling idea. And it not only is true of our politics, but it may be true of just the way you live your life, that you're always thinking of what's ahead. I'm one of those, okay? I'm one of those. That's the controlling idea, that best is yet to come. It, it, it isn't necessarily so, okay? But we believe it. We believe it. Now, over here on the right are conservatives, and the operant word is conserve, okay? These people think the best was in the past, and the worst is yet to come. And so we need to kind of conserve that, and we need to kind of go back to where things were better, and where we knew what we were gonna, supposed to do, and everything's going to be great, and it'll be kumbaya if we just go back to the past, okay? Now again, uh, that idea as a whole vision for life, uh, you know, just being afraid of the future or, you know, always embracing the future, being afraid of the past, it just isn't, it isn't a way to build your life. And so the Bible will say um, that I'm going to challenge that, God says. Because both of these ideas, at least in terms of a, the way our culture operates, they're out of gas. The progressive and the conservative visions, they're out of gas. And, and they really are kind of warped in and of themselves. That's why we need to be in God's word, you see. It challenges ideas that are human inventions. And it challenges the anxiety that is based on humans thinking that we're in charge, that we can make our beautiful new world, that we can kind of recover our beautiful old world, and that somehow that's all going to work. And what the Bible does is it replaces them with God's ideas. And the idea is this, only God can make a utopia happen. Amen. 
only as we look to God. And it may involve some progressive things. It may involve some conservative things, but that's not the plan. The plan is God's, and we follow him. And, I, and I, now, I'm, I'm treading into kind of icy water territory here, so this is not necessarily Bible, this is me, but I, I have a thought that maybe God is designing a way in which these two visions are going to be frustrated and aren't going to happen. Maybe he's putting a cosmic kill switch into this that we're never going to get to nirvana on either side. Maybe in our environment and our politics and our government, God is saying nope in the same way he did when we tried to build the Tower of Babel, thinking that we could somehow bring the whole world together by ourselves. And God said, nope, that ain't going to happen. I think that may be what's happening. People getting frustrated and anxious And then a whole bunch of people in the middle who don't know what they think, I'll say something to us in in a moment. But just to say that maybe God's frustrating that so that we will come to him and to his wisdom. Because the Bible, it says, makes us wise for salvation through Jesus Christ. Not only personal salvation, but community salvation and world salvation and cosmic salvation. It's only as we come close to Christ that will get to the real utopia, the real salvation that the world needs and the hope that will not disappoint us. That would be what's called in the Bible the kingdom of God, which is present now wherever anybody or any group of people or even any community begins to submit to God's authority in things and draws near to the presence of God and the kingdom that's going to be coming in the future in Jesus. So I just want to speak to progressives. Progressives, progress, Without the presence of God yields anarchy. You just look at history. Progress without the presence of God yields anarchy. Exhibit number one is the French Revolution. Oh, great. Liberty, egality, fraternity, liberty, equality, and brotherhood and sisterhood. Great vision, right? How did it end? A bloodbath. Anarchy. Because God was kept out of the equation. Conservatives, conserving without consecration to God yields oligarchy. The rich get richer, the poor get poorer, stratification of society. You think of totalitarian regimes that are pretty conservative, and what does that yield? Now again, I'm not saying those visions are that way, but I'm just suggesting without God, without the presence of God and consecration to the presence of God, you got a mess. And for those who are in the middle, the uncommitted, The folks who just say, well, I'm just going to duck and cover in the midst of this warfare that's going on, you know. Just status quo living. Maybe we'll get through this bad time. Life without engagement of God and of others, it isn't anarchy. It isn't oligarchy. It's absurdity. It's absurdity. It's an absurd life. You live your life and you die. Maybe you'll go to heaven. Boy, more to life than that. So what we want is consecration to God, to the presence of God that will bring us into his kingdom. Describe Jesus in the Bible as peace and love and justice and right order and joy available for everybody from all stratas of life, every culture, every part of the world. Why do we need the Bible? We need it for help in living now and forever. The Bible says keep on working out your salvation. And that's not just personally, that's Community-wide and globally, keep working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. That's the key, to will and to act according to his good purpose. And where do you find his purpose? You find it here in the pages of his word where he gives it to us.
Why do we need the Bible? We need the Bible not only for the help, but for the change that God intends in us. Verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed and it's useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and for training in righteousness. As I continued to read and devour the Bible, it struck me in so many ways as it changed my perspectives and it changed my behavior. Yes, it was useful for teaching, it, it, it teaches us beliefs that ground us in reality, not just, in my case, some kind of vision of some future that's going to be better someday, somehow, in some way. Now, I think I told you before that early on I would cross out stuff I didn't like in the Bible. You know, just references to the devil, references to the demonic, just out, out, out. But eventually, over the course of time, as I began to read and experience and kind of connected, I realized actually that's a reality that I need to deal with. So I started getting my eraser out and erasing stuff. It was useful for teaching. It was useful for rebuking, for highlighting some of my weaknesses and sins and, and, and things that needed to grow in my life. I learned what was wrong in my life, but I also learned that there were some things that actually were pretty good, things that were right, and I was changing towards the good and leaving behind what wasn't. It was helpful for correction, for finding direction for my life. Sort of like a GPS today, back in my day, it would have been fine. I found a treasure map. It somehow always led me to the treasure, which was God and his kingdom. When I ask questions like, what am I supposed to do? Or who am I supposed to be with? And where am I going to go? And I met this lovely young woman named Hallie. You know, what am I supposed to do with her? What, what's, is there something there? Well, yes, there's something there. And we're still living that something. Praise God. I'm so glad. Yeah. You know, as I, I, was, I was asking myself questions about her. You know, there were questions about the personal stuff. You know, was there this going on? But then I could look in the Bible of the kind of person that I want to be married to. It's all here. And she matched up this list. I could say, all right, check, check, check. This at least is somebody I can go for as well as, uh, as opposed to somebody else who didn't check, check this list off and so on. 90% of what I needed to know was right here in this Bible. It's useful for training. It's useful for instructing us in how to live. You know, we need to be trained. I don't know. I didn't know how to do this new thing with God. It was like, what? I'm supposed to live with you around in my life? I had enough trouble with just this, but, but I was trained. I was trained by this book of how to live in this plane and to live in that plane and to be together as God made it possible. The restoration of his image inside and outside. I had a lot to learn in those first days in Christ. A lot of change. Tell you what, I'm this age, I got a lot to learn. There's a lot to come in. There's a lot that I'm dealing with. I need, I need this book to train me for the changes that I need to go through now at this stage of my life. Now, if you're in the midlife, you know, you're in between young and old, you know, um, you go through this phase where you kind of get into, ah, you're kind of dissatisfied. You ever, anybody ever had that experience? It's kind of like, you know, okay. And you think you need some kind of a change. And so you say, I'm, I hate my job. I'm going to get out of my job. Or I'm going to move if you have the opportunity to do so. Or, or maybe you think, I'm, I'm with the wrong person, so there goes that person, and so on. Well, you know, I would just suggest, if you're in that mode where you're thinking you need to make some kind of a change, that maybe you ought to go to the Bible first, because the Bible may say the change you want really isn't in your environment, your circumstances, in you. Because, you know, if you make a change, which sometimes you need to do, and maybe God might direct you to do so, but if you make a change and you move somewhere else, 
The problem is, there you are. <laughs> you're still there, and you're still part of the problem. And so that's why you need this book, to deal with the changes that you really need. Why do we need the Bible? We need the Bible for the change that it intends, for the whole new life that God intends us to have. Ephesians 4 says, put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and be made new in the attitude of your minds. Put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Why do we need the Bible? Well, for the person that we can become. Verse 17, all of this so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, that's a great title, servant of God. Not master of the universe, as I used to think I was, but servant of God. That's a great place to be. The best job, the best identity you can have is to be that. Someone who is thoroughly equipped, thoroughly, that's complete, nothing to add. All you really need in order to become God's person, God's servant, and God's friend is you need this book and you need a community that affirms that that's going to help you to kind of get what God is saying to you here. So that you can be thoroughly equipped, that means fully capable and prepared, ready for whatever life or God throws at you, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Because of God's word, you can become a resilient human being, not like a snowflake who melts at every slight adversity that comes your way. And you're equipped for every good work that your life begins to become a source of good. You're doing something good, even as you're just doing your whatever it is job, whether it's something lofty or something very ordinary. You can be doing good work in the small and great things. With the practice of engaging the Scripture, God the Holy Spirit redeems His image in you, and you end up living and looking like Jesus. And who doesn't want to be like that? You'll become a Christian in more than just name only. So I started to engage in daily Bible study, sometimes assisted by my friends, a weekly study with them, with those same people who introduced me to God. And I wanted to become like them, and I saw in the Bible, this is the pattern here. So Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 14, he says, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. That's why we need the Bible. For the person that we become and finally for the life that we want. Everybody seems to want the good life. It's remarkably similar across cultures. It's not really a whole lot. It's things like love and justice and a little kindness and harmony between people and a sense of purpose and meaning for life. Now that universality of those things that people want may be a sign that the creator of human beings has placed that desire in us and that he's frustrating any other ways that we might try to find it, but that he's given us his word so that here we can get connected with the one who can give that to us. And we become this kind of a person described in Psalm 1, which is in the middle of the Bible, the book of Psalms, if you want to flip back to that, if you have it. Psalm 1 and verses 2 and 3, it says this. It says, blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. Here's what they become like. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose life, leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. 
If your delight is in the word of God, if you meditate on it and chew it on it, if you eat this book day and maybe on occasion night, then you're going to have a like like this. You'll become a tree. And the image there is of a strong thing, a tree of righteousness. And you will become a good person who is planted by streams of water. That means you're deeply rooted. Where there's water, roots go down deep to suck more of it. And that means that when adversity comes, when winds come and floods come, you're not going to get blown away because you're held deep in the soil of God's word. You're secure. You're fruitful, it says, bearing fruit. You're productive. You're generative at all stages of your life, from the youngest to the oldest. You're generative. You're resourceful, not just for yourself and your own kind, but for other people who look to you and receive from you. You're resilient. You don't dry up and wither in dry times because you're lasting and eternal in the soil and the nourishment of God's word. And ultimately, you're prosperous in the things that really matter, a life that has meaning and purpose and significance and people around you who are glad that you're on the planet. Why do we need the Bible? We need the Bible for life as a son or a daughter of God, which is real life, abundant life, a very challenging life, but the greatest life ever. Why do we need the Bible? Paul says to Timothy again, you know all about my teaching, my way of life. This is why we need it for the life that we want. Friends, I just conclude. The Bible is worth it. It's worth it. Read it. Come every week to hear it talked about so you can go home and kick it around. Check it out. Mark it. Study it. Learn it. Commit portions of it to memory so that when you need it, you got it right there in the storehouse inside here and here. Digest it. Let it kick around with the people that matter in your life. Eat this book. Eat this book. Let's do that together. I want to conclude with words that Paul said to Timothy, words that encouraged Timothy as a young man, perhaps the young among us that come from this book. Paul said to Timothy, and I would say he'd say to those of us on the younger side, pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. As you're building your life, these are the values you want to pursue. Fight the good fight of the faith, and it will be a fight. Everything that's around you will be warring against your being a faithful person in Jesus Christ. But keep the command of God without spot or blame in your life and the life of those you know until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a great vision for what your life can become. And for those of us who are older, Paul speaks of himself and maybe Timothy once spoke these words to him. If you're on the older side of life, I hope that you're joining me in saying the time for my departure is near. We have no knowledge, friends, of when it may be, but for those of us who are older, it's sooner rather than later. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I haven't given up. I've kept the faith. And now there's in store for me a crown of righteousness. May that be so for us, and may this book guide us. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this amazing book. Oh, my God. I don't know where I'd be if those guys hadn't challenged me to get into this and given me one of these. Eh, just what it's done. What you've done as I've just poked around in here. Studied and read it and read it and read it. Thank you for the change that you've made. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen.